Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 179. I'm Norm Welsh. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to find God even in your most stressful of times is key, and one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this. The Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend Scott May. A victim mentality, and that's why we can't move forward. I have unforgiveness. That person betrayed me. I can't get over it. But yes, you can. If you just, hey, it's out of your, what that person says or does is out of my control. I forgive them and I'm moving forward. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Norm Welsh. I asked Norm about his time as a police officer and his time as a prisoner. Norm shares how his journey led him to a faith-based approach to dealing with trauma. And Norm also shares what we can do to help others when they are dealing with trauma. One area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to hold you accountable and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in Productivity for Your Passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. Techniques and approaches Norm that you Welch can take was a police for 26 anyone. years. And we help you do that. of those as an undercover narcotic Check agent rising to the position of commander. Norm experienced many launch. traumatic incidents during his career. In 1998, He was diagnosed with an incurable neuromuscular disease that caused the loss of feeling, mobility, and strength in his hands and feet. After 30 surgeries to stabilize his feet, Norm developed an addiction to opioids. Norm was later diagnosed with work-related PTSD, and then his daughter was diagnosed with a serious illness with a poor prognosis. This caused Norm to go into a downward spiral that he never recovered from. After a failed suicide attempt, he made a series of poor decisions that eventually landed him in federal prison. With the possibility that he was going to prison and may die there, he answered a calling to God. God placed people in his path to teach him the gospel. He had never believed in God, 
but he knew that God was calling him to minister to police officers who themselves were suffering from trauma. While in prison, he obtained a master's degree in theology and Christian counseling, doctorate degree in Christian counseling, and a certificate as a California registered alcohol and drug addiction counselor. He found himself counseling inmates while in prison, preaching God's word, and leading Bible studies. God healed his daughter and healed his PTSD through a Christ-centered healing process. Together, they experienced God's healing power and transformation through biblical principles. After just eight years of a 14-year sentence, he was released due to COVID-19. Norm went on to write a book called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, Healing a Broken Heart, and he just finished up a companion book called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, The Study Guide, that's perfect for use in small groups like within a church. Welcome to the show, Norm. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Norm, we talked a little bit in the intro. You've had an interesting journey and background to get where you are today. Would you talk a little bit more about why have you decided to really focus on the Christ-centered healing, the trauma, the PTSD, and why has your journey led you to that message? Because PTSD, I shouldn't say PTSD, but trauma infiltrates every life. If you haven't been through a traumatic event, don't worry, you will. And I, we all handle it in different ways, right? And most of us do not know how to properly cope with those negative emotions. And that was me. That's how I started to use pills was because I was self-medicating. I was trying to get rid of those negative emotions, the panic attacks, anxiety, and it was completely wrong, right? That's not how we go about managing these emotions. So when I started studying the Bible and I realized what God says about handling your emotions, I first basically I was healed from, I haven't had a negative PTSD emotion now for probably eight years. And it's simple, but people don't know about it. And we can go, I went to psychologists, psychiatrists for three years. Not that they didn't help. They really did help me, but there was no healing. And I believe that only God can heal. And so these principles from the Bible teach us how to heal. So we don't have to cope with these emotions anymore. But if we keep up with it, then future events, overwhelming events that happen in our lives, we can keep up on and we don't have to be oppressed by these negative emotions. So for you, with your journey as a police officer and doing all of that, what was the trauma I don't want to say what was the trauma that was inflicted on you, but basically what brought you to have to deal with trauma? And why do you think that's so common for folks that are first responders and in that industry? First responders really see the worst that Satan has to offer, right? It's, I wouldn't say a daily basis, but it's very common. I think they did a study that police officer goes through at least 180 traumas during their career. For instance, I was only on for a few months when I was responded to a plane crash. This plane crashed right into the roof of a local mall, a two-story mm. mall. And it was the day before Christmas. And it was literally 50 yards from where Santa was. And 14 died. And there was like 70 people injured. And when I got there, it was like a war zone. It's something that just overwhelms the system, right? We're not meant to be witnessing this type of thing, right? it's out of the societal norm. I've been shot at. I, I've witnessed 
children be shot and killed by a parent. I've been there giving mouth to kids that have drowned, that they were obviously dead. You can't not do anything with a parent there. So all these things add up. And then once you're done with something like this, you're expected to go on to the next call, right? Mm. Fire Firemen too, when they go out and they see a couple deaths in a fire, they just can't take the time. Okay, okay, I need time to relax. I need time to process this. No, the next call is the next call and you got to go to that next call. But I don't think police agencies and, and fire agencies are really doing the necessary things to help because it, it's, I hate to say this, but it's looked down upon to be weak, right? So if I were have, would have went back and said, okay, a boss, I need to, I need to talk to somebody. What I saw today was horrible and I'm really having a bad time with it. They, they would send you to a psychologist, but it's a city paid psychologist. And if you told, if I would have said, yeah, last night I put a gun in my mouth and I was really seriously thinking about committing suicide, you wouldn't work again. That would just be it. Because cops and firemen, I'll include medical workers, EMT workers, emergency room workers. You're expected to have that warrior mentality. You have to go out. You have to be able to bury your emotions and go on to the next thing. It's Mm -hmm. difficult. So you mentioned finding faith and that helping you with the healing, but what was your faith journey like before and after? There was none. The things I saw for 25 years, I was actually 26 and a little over, but the things that I saw always made me wonder how there could be a, a loving God with all these horrible things going on, right? I was born into a Christian family, but like most Christians, we went to church maybe on a, a Christmas Eve once a year, if, he, if even that. And not to say they weren't spiritual, but there was no practice there. But I didn't realize that, that God loves you and there's reasons and purposes for what's happening. Even though it's difficult for us to understand and explain, we have to understand that there is a plan and purpose for each of us. So when I, take me for instance, I made these horrible decisions that landed me in prison. That, there was just stupid, idiotic things I did. Yeah, he could have prevented it if he wanted to, but I think that he had a plan and purpose for my life. Mm-hmm. And he allowed me to go through these things that I went through, even though they were very painful, very scary and traumatic. But now he put in my heart, listen, you've got this experience now to help people, and I want you to go out and help people. And that's why I do these things. Mm-hmm. It, it, just to be, we talked about it in the intro, but you were dealing with, not only the trauma of the job and what you were seeing, which we referenced several times, but you had a health crisis, you had things going on in your family with your daughter. Do you think part of the issue was that it was piling on or could any one of these things been enough to have triggered that kind of downward spiral? For me, I was handling the, the PTSD aspect of it pretty well until I started to use the pills, but that wasn't until after all my surgeries. So and I think that's what made me a good cop. And that's what, why I got promoted was because I was really doing a good job on managing that, that crap. I would come home sometimes in the middle of the night, I'd get up and go downstairs and cry. But at work, I was able to do the job. But then when this disease hit me in 1998, it's called peripheral neuropathy. So it's just like a diabetic's have, but I'm not a diabetic. 
but I began to have these ulcers on the bottom of my feet, these big blisters. And then that was complicated by Charcot Marie tooth disease, which is a atrophy of the muscles in the extremities. So both my nerves and my muscles were deadening in my feet and in my hands. So they had to do 30 surgeries in a 10 year period on my feet. And they kept giving me these pills, the opioids, the Percocet, Vicodin and all kinds of stuff. I had no feeling in my feet. And I'm not blaming the doctors because the doctors have obligation to, um, to control our pain. It was, should have been me that said, Hey, I, I don't need these pills. But as I took the pills, like every once in a while, like I get a headache or something, but I realized that they were taking the edge off of my anxiety and my panic mm-hmm. attacks I was having. They made me not have to feel. And so pretty soon, every time something came up where I would have these flashbacks of certain things that happened at work, I'd take a pill and pretty soon it was two, pretty soon it was three, and then pretty soon it was 10 a day, and then it was 20 a day. It just, it's, just, it's a self-medication process that we just don't want to feel. And so I think that it, one thing I could have handled, two things I wasn't handling very well. And then when my daughter got diagnosed with liver tumors and they told us that the surgery was only, there was only a 50% survival of the surgery. I went into that downward spiral and that's when the suicidal ideation came in and, and I just was basket case. I, and because I thought that I was responsible for my daughter's, you know, premature death because my DNA was obviously flawed because I was going through all these things and I gave it to her. That's false thinking, right? That's, that's what we do. Yeah, li- liver, liver cancer and what you have are not genetically related to right. each other. I have a degree right. in genetics. I can attest to that. There's Satan is on your yeah. shoulder right there saying, look. Well, it, you still, you always feel responsible as a parent for anything that happens to your children, even things that you bear no responsibility for. It doesn't matter. <laughs> of course, <laughs> it, exactly. And it was about a week later where I made my first suicide attempt. And then the bad decisions came and my crime spree was literally for three weeks. And then that was it. And then I was arrested about a month later. It's, um, so I think it piles on, it's cumulative. It's just like what police go through, firemen. Witnessing this on a daily basis or even a, a monthly basis, combat veterans come back and they do an 18 month stint and they see some horrific things. But if you think about what they see compared to what first responders see over a 25-year career, there's no comparison, right? I'm not trying to put down combat vets up there. I've never done it, and I, I couldn't do it. I, I praise them, and I'm so grateful for what they do. But people don't think about, if, especially in child abuse cases, a mm-hmm. child is victimized for years and years on end. That, that takes, really, it breaks your heart, and it puts that person into a, a spin where it's going to affect them their whole life. So let's define some terms. And then I, I want to circle back and ask you something about what you just said. You know, we've been talking about PTSD. We've been talking about trauma. What are those things and who is affected by them? PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Technically in the, in the psychology books, it says that you have to have a life-threatening event or a near-death experience to where you, you get PTSD. And there's different levels of PTSDs as acute and so on. But it's like beauty in the eyes of the beholder, right? It all depends on your resilience to that traumatic event. It could be a child that was bitten by a dog at a young age, and you could actually get PTSD from that event and carry it on into your adulthood. Mm-hmm. 
a nasty divorce for some people could be so traumatic that it stays with them the rest of their life. So it doesn't have to be an, a life or death experience. I, the psychology books say so, but I believe that even my things that we would think as minor, like maybe a traffic accident, that could put somebody into a downward spiral where well, they'll never get into a car again. You know, and, and these are the things. So and everyone is susceptible. Part of it, how they perceive the event. And again, you say a life-threatening event, but I can tell you that there's been some events that I've been in that other people look at me and go, dude, that was like, and I'm like, no, oh, well, I was fine. Yeah. And vice versa. There's things that I see and I'm threatened by, and other people are like, why is that scary to you? Is that intimidating? So do you think perception has something to do with it? Yes, it is perception and your resilience. If you're, I believe that if you're in a just type background of a Christian or some kind of faith where you believe in there's something greater than yourself, I think there you have more resilience. I didn't have that. Everything was, woe is me? Why is this happening to me? Why? How come? I thought I was going crazy. So I believe that with the faith now, it's a lot easier to go through these things because understanding who God is. But you're right. It all is perception. So if you see the car coming at you when you get into that crash, it's going to be different than somebody that wasn't paying attention and was reading a book or whatever. Well, you're exactly right. But the trauma can affect all of us. And what people don't understand, which I didn't understand, was the trauma that we go through often, or over maybe not even trauma, overwhelming life events that sometimes we go through. It's not that event that keeps us oppressed, right? It's our response to that event. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. If we look at that event as something to produce growth, it's very difficult. And some people might be laughing at me, but it's true. You have to look at it from a godly perspective. If you look at it from a godly perspective, it changes everything. So I think too, and you mentioned combat veterans and you mentioned others. And we were just talking about the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to be a life-threatening event, but what I think it's also important to recognize, and I wanted your take on this, that two different people can go through the exactly the same event. And yet one of them can be affected for the rest of their life. And the other quote unquote gets over it. And I hate that expression because I don't think you ever really get over trauma, but you get past it. Maybe is a better way of putting it. Why do you think it is so different for different people, even the same event? I think it all goes, comes down, like I said, resilience, right? How you were raised, if you were raised in a loving family. It, so if you come from different backgrounds, that also affects everything. So if you have a family where you, maybe you were rejected, maybe you were abandoned, all these things come into play. It's not just a simple thing that, hey, I was a victim of a crime and now the rest of my life is screwed up. Everything, your worldview, your value system, everything comes into play there. And I believe the only way that we can really heal is through godly methods. Now, you're never going to forget about it. It's always going to be there. But what it does, especially in the book, what it does is it takes the weight off of your shoulders, right? So you don't have to carry around the weight of being a victim of trauma. You can say, okay, this is what happened. I understand it. I know that God has the best intentions for me. And something is good is going to come out of this and you can move forward instead of being stuck in that woe is me like I was trying to manipulate and control everything. But realistically, we can't do that because God's in charge. Mm -hmm. The difference between 
something that's happened and something that's happened to me, so to speak. It's a very subtle difference to say those two sentences, but that's a very different mental outlook of, because if it happened to me, then it's almost like some, it's interesting to me that sometimes people that don't have a deep faith, but also think, but the universe is somehow conspiring against me. And it's, it's almost a weird dichotomy of, wait, (laughs) you know, No, you're exactly right. And that's what keeps us oppressed, right? That's what keeps us in that victim mentality. And that's why we can't move forward. I have unforgiveness. That person betrayed me. I can't get over it. But yes, you can. If you just, hey, it's out of your, what that person says or does is out of my control. I forgive them and I'm moving forward. The battle is in the mind. It really is. It's in the mind. And Paul says it best. When these thoughts come up, just take it captive and compare it to what the Bible says. If it's not congruent to what the Bible says, forget it. Move forward. Stop living in the past. I know that that sounds simpler. <laughs> That's easy to say, not always easy right? to do. But I swear you, you can do it. If I could do it where I was at, anybody can do it. What was it like going to prison as a police officer? Oh, it, again, the battle was in the mind. I was freaking out. I was stressed. I had stomach aches constantly. Uh, I spent my first year in a suicide cell because my family. Not shocking. Yeah. And, but that made me angry. God has a purpose. I was able to study the Bible all by myself alone. And then when they transferred me to Fort Worth, Texas, where I was in prison, I was scared to death. But God put people in front of my, in front of me to tell me, Hey, listen, this is what you do. I, these other people were in prison too. And they told me, Hey, this is the way to get through it. And basically spent most of my time in the chapel. There were incidents where I was threatened. God protected me during the whole time. So it was all in my mind that I was freaking out. And I made some good friends there and they looked past who I was before. And they saw who I was beginning to become, not that same person. And God brought me through it. And to be honest, I think that if he were to come down right now and say, hey, let's do a do-over that you don't have to go to prison, you don't have to go through all the things you went through, I would turn it down because I'm a much better person now from having learned what I did during the last 11 years than who I was in the past. Yeah, I was a cop. I was doing, trying to do the right thing. I didn't like myself. I wasn't comfortable with myself. And I was already in prison, to be honest with you. It was just no bars. So I was, had, I experienced more peace in prison than I, I've done without going to prison. So I think that these things that God allows us to go through are meant for our own good. And I, I think it was for me, but it wasn't like in the movies that everybody's getting stabbed every day and stuff. It, it wasn't really like that. Yeah. My, my father actually worked as a counselor in a, in a minimum security prison, but it was still a prison and people don't always understand that a minimum security prison is still a prison. And you, and I went and visited several times and actually spoke to, he was doing, he was part of the program that as the, as folks got closer to release, they put them through this program to teach them how to go interview for a job and these sorts of things. Because many of these guys had never had a chance to learn things like that. They were not necessarily where they were because of, of, like you said, it was bad choices that they had made. And the idea was if they taught him these skills, then perhaps that would lower the recidivism rate. 
was actually really successful. A lot of these guys did not return to prison that had gone through the program. And I went, I don't know, three or four times and spoke to guys that were, they were usually within two years of getting out. And it always amazed me how, number one, how many stories there were, how many very men in, that I would have liked to hang out with. And it, it's not this picture. We have this picture of what it means to be a prisoner. It's like, they're people. <laughs> That's really yeah. all they are. They're people yeah. that have gotten where they are through usually bad choices that they made. No, you're exactly right. Prison reform is a whole nother issue we could talk hours about, but that, that's why I, I, I felt the calling because I didn't realize that why people use drugs, okay, or like alcohol, why? And the police academy is just like, okay, they're committing a crime, black and white, that's it, you go to jail, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's just it. But when you talk to these guys, like you just said, and you find out their stories and like one guy, it was a gangster all his life, but when he, he said that when his mom died at 14, his dad shot him up with heroin just to have someone to, to get high with. I, I, how does a guy like that come out of that situation and do something positive? It's that we really need to rethink the, this prison thing. And uh, I believe that prison has a, a necessity and there are people that deserve it and should stay there forever a lifetime. Right. But like you said, there are some very good people. And I was really amazed to meet some very good people who just through life circumstances, just made some stupid mistakes. That's not, again, I don't want to dissuade and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'll give you my view and let you weigh in on it. That doesn't mean that there's not responsibility. That doesn't mean that they didn't have the chance to make other choices. Not Again, that makes people a victim that have no power and no authority and no ability to choose. And I don't think that we're that way. At the same time, if you're dealt the wrong deck of cards, it also is much, much harder to make those right choices. You're putting someone in an environment where that, it's not that it can't happen, but it's much more difficult, if that makes sense. No, you're exactly right. It is responsibility, and that's why we really need to rethink it. And I'm not saying that they're victims, but they do have a responsibility to to follow the rules. But I think that we're making a big mistake when we're not doing like what you guys were doing and helping people, teaching them, giving them a high school education, teaching them how to manage money. Because when you come out and you have a felony on your record, it's a vicious cycle, right? Yep. They say recidivism is high. Go get a job and yet nobody wants to hire you. Nobody <laughs> wants to hire you. And then you have no skills because you sit in prison. It's like a warehouse. They sit you on the shelf and you sit there for three, four years, whatever the case may be. And I'm glad that that prison he was working in did that. The prisons that I worked in said they did that, but they didn't. But They'd offer no incentive, but the guys like me who really wanted to, yeah, yeah. But I had extra money, see? So when I went to college, I was able to pay for it. So my wife still worked, and so she was able to buy, pay for the college tuition. And so a lot of these guys have absolutely nothing. Right. And if you take, making 15 cents at a prison job an hour is not going to pay for a college tuition. So when we think about maybe we've got someone in our life that is dealing with trauma. Maybe even we suspect has PTSD. What are some of the things that we can do to help 
support them or help guide them maybe to making some of not going down the self-medication route and some of these things, but making choices that would help them. First thing is to definitely say something. My, my wife, she watched me go through a couple of years of, of deep depression and she never said anything. Then when she did started to say something, what we do is we put up that fake facade, right? No, everything's good. Don't worry about me. There's nothing good. But if she would have just came to me, sat me down and said, listen, I see these different personality changes in you. And I don't understand what's going on with you. Please speak to me. Yeah, I might have still blocked her off because of my job. It's not easy coming home and saying, yeah, I had a traffic accident today and I saw a guy beheaded. You don't really want to tell that to the family, but there's other ways to bring it. But I believe that if a coworker of mine would have said something and a couple of them had, had told me afterwards, yeah, we saw the changes in you. Why didn't you say something? But if you have the warrior mentality in, in, in this type of job or in, in different cultures too, the Hispanic and the black culture, you don't seek help. You don't ask for help. You're the man and you just deal with it. But if somebody comes up to you and says, please, I see these changes in you. Can we talk? And then just being loving about it. A lot of people will excuse what's wrong with you. There's, yeah. If it's all in, in the delivery, right? Hey, I see these things. I notice these changes in you. Are you okay? And we sit down and talk. But once you start accusing somebody, there's got to be something wrong with you. Like my dad, he never understood. He is a World War II veteran. And I the issues that he was going through, but he would never admit it. He goes, no, I'm good. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. And you just pull up your bootstraps and move forward. Don't think about it. That's the old school. So I think a loving approach and if necessary, maybe even an intervention. I think if my wife would have got maybe a coworker of mine or two to come, I think that would have made a big difference too. So I've got a few questions that I like to ask all my guests, but before I, I ask that, is there anything else you'd like to share about the Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma book? Any Anything else we've talked about today? The book was designed for those that are suffering, that, that are going through painful events, that are just can't seem to move forward after something happened. They ruminate over a betrayal or a divorce, and they just can't seem to move forward. And it has the biblical principles in there that we can follow that'll actually heal, not just learn to cope with, but heal. So I just want to say, lastly, is that there is hope. There is healing if you want to do it. It's not the easiest thing to do because you have to go through and do a, an honest evaluation of, of your responsibility in this matter. And you have to forgive people and you have to ask for forgiveness of, of things that you might have done. And this is God's commands that we do this. So the book will help you get through those emotional difficulties that you have. So my brand is Inspired Stewardship, and I run things through that lens of stewardship. And yet that's mm -hmm. one of those words that I've discovered, kind of like trauma. <laughs> we all use it, but we never actually really define it. So what does the word stewardship mean to you? And what is that understanding? How has that impacted your life? I believe it means responsible management of what God's given you. So we all have spiritual gifts. We all have, even if you don't want to call them spiritual, we all have gifts. Some people are good listeners. Some people are good at uh, managing money, whatever the case may be. If God gives you a talent to, to manage that properly, to use it, if you believe that you're a good listener, God put that in you, right? And if you're not going out there and helping people by, by listening, 
I believe you're not doing good stewardship of God's gifts. So it's managing what he's given to you because all good things come from him. And we've got to use those in a proper manner, those gifts. So this is my favorite question. We'll see what you think about it. If I invented this magic machine and I was able to pluck you from where you are today and transport you into the future, 150, maybe 200 years. And through the power of this machine, you were able to look back on your entire life and see all of the relationships, all of the connections, all of the ripples and all of the impacts you've made. What impact do you hope you've left on the world? That's a tough one. But I believe that if one person can be helped through my testimony or through the things that I've been through and say, wow, I see things now differently and I'm not going to go down that road that Norm went. I think at least one person, I think that would make everything that I've went through worth it. So what's on the roadmap? What's coming next here as you look forward to 2023? I just wrote a book that's at the publisher now on why God allows suffering. Because I think people need to understand. I think that's the age old question that's been thousands of years. And I spent two years studying the Bible and it's an honest, some people don't want to, probably don't want to read it because it's honest, but it's honestly why God allows us to go through these things. I would like to, I'm studying to be a chaplain. I'm going through the courses and I would really like to be a first responder chaplain. The thing that's happening now is that because of my record now, that no cop will talk to me because I'm considered a scumbag. I'm a criminal. So I hope and I hope that through interviews like this and showing people that, hey, you can be redeemed, you can come back and maybe you can come back better person. And through what you've been through, maybe you can prevent others from going through that or at least help others that are going through it. And that's what I would really like to do is be a first responder chaplain to really help these guys through this difficult time. Because no matter what the administration say right now, that they are changing things, and they are, but down at the street level, it's mm -hmm. still people are afraid to come forward. Mm -hmm. I still think it is definitely better now than it was 40 years ago or 20 years ago. But I agree. And I know a good number of first responders as well as military and in the military culture is similar in terms of you yeah. don't ask for help. You just suck it up and get through it mindset. But it, I do think that mental health is becoming more normalized, but it's still not anywhere close to what it needs to be. I would agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. You can follow Norm on Facebook as Christ Centered Healing or over on Twitter as Christ underscore trauma, or you can find out more about Norm and his book over on the website, Christ-CenteredHealing.com. Norm, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? No, I just, like I said, the message is there is hope and there is healing. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact the world.